0: And welcome to Lebanon Presbyterian Church. It is a joy and privilege to welcome you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to say thank you to those who helped in participating and decorating here in the church. It is beautiful as we celebrate this time of year. Thank you to all of you who helped. Um, Are there any announcements this morning? Um, This
1: is the last day to bring your gifts for the disabilities, people, and our party is Tuesday at 2.30, and we'd love to have you come if you'd like to. I know a lot of you have already done it, but this is the last Sunday for the up. If you want to put flowers in charge, I will be taking the list home with you today. So if you have not signed up and you want to, please do so today, or you contact me. Thank you. And
0: I have one. Go ahead. <clears throat> okay. That's fine. Okay. I would like to remind all of our Missions Committee member, uh, members to the meeting on Tuesday night. We're going to consolidate after our training time and then talk about uh, next year and some advanced things. So please be there Tuesday night at 7 o'clock.
1: <laughs> this is just a reminder that Hamlet's Messiah will be performed today at 3 o'clock at Siam Presbyterian Church. We'd love to have you all come out. And we are going to have a C committee just coming Thursday night at 7
0: o'clock. Okay. And I just have a couple of announcements for you. Uh, I want to remind you that we have uh, Sunday evening classes tonight, beginning at 6, our normal Sunday evening activities. Uh, For the adults, we're going through the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we will be looking at the chapter on Christian liberty and likely finishing that tonight. And also want to uh, draw your attention to our schedule for December. Uh, We will be having a joint Christmas Eve service On Sunday, uh, December 24th, it'll be a joint service with Salem Presbyterian Church. We've invited our brothers and sisters uh, from there to come and worship with us. And uh, Pastor Richard Hodges will also be participating in our service that night as well. There's also a note in the bulletin about Christmas caroling on Wednesday, December the 20th. If you are interested in doing that, uh, please come at 5. And then Sarah and I are excited to invite you all, whether you go caroling or not, Uh, to come to our house at about 6.30 for an open house, just a time of fellowship as a church family. uh, We'll have some refreshments, and we'll have a sign-up sheet in the foyer uh, next Sunday for you to sign up if you'd like to bring things. Over the last couple of years, folks have asked, hey, what can we bring? So uh, rather than having a whole bunch of one same thing, we'll just uh, have a sign-up sheet and uh, just enjoy an evening of fellowship together, spending time together as a church family. If there are no other announcements Then let's stand together as the Lord calls us to worship. The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord strong in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Worship on this first Sunday of Advent. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> Almighty God, the King of all the earth, we pray that you would give us grace today that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of your light. Now, in the time of this life that we have on this earth, in which your Son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty, to judge both the quick and the dead, that we may rise to life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. And Lord, we pray now as you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy thy kingdom kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal, if you would like to look there. Because this is a profession of our faith, and we confess it together, I ask you, Christian, what do you believe?
1: I believe in God the Father Almighty,
0: maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and look to him to cleanse you from your sins and trust in him alone, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from Ezekiel chapter 36. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's continue to worship now. Turn your hymnal to number 194 as we sing together, O come, O come, Emmanuel. children's Well, good morning, boys and girls. Good to see you all this morning. I wanted to ask you if you know what this special season of the year is. Does anybody know? you notice that one of our candles is lit this morning. Does anybody know uh, what candle this is? This is the, the prophet's candle. The first candle lit on the first Sunday in Advent is the prophet's candle. And can anybody think, if you had to pick one word, what would be the one word that would describe the message of the prophets?
1: Um,
0: glory. Glory. God's Glory. Damit? Amazing. Amazing. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Yep, we're gonna we're certainly gonna read some of those words. If you had to describe one use one word to describe their message, would it be repent? The message of the prophets. It is. Hear these words from Isaiah chapter nine, verses two and six. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On this first Sunday in Advent, as we have the, the prophet's candle lit, it's a reminder to us that all the wonderful things that you know in the gospel about the coming of the Lord Jesus was something that was hidden. It was dark and shadowy. The people of God in the Old Testament were waiting and longing and hoping, will God ever send us the Messiah? Will one ever come who will deliver us from our sins? Why do you suppose they were walking in darkness? What was dark about the times they were living in? Anybody? Did the sun not come out during their days like it does for us? It doesn't mean that kind of darkness. It means the darkness in, in their heart, in their soul. They had no idea what it meant for Jesus to come into the world. They only had these promises and the word of the prophets that said to them, repent. You remember when Jesus came and John the Baptist spoke and he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was saying that the kingdom of heaven is with you because I'm here. So this season, we're reminded of our need to come to the Lord in repentance of our sins and walking in darkness, being away from Him. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank You for the hope that we have in the Gospel. And Lord, I pray for our covenant children this morning that for each of them, they wouldn't take for granted what it is that You have given us in hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, Your Son, our King. Lord, I pray that You would protect their hearts from being dissatisfied with Jesus. That as we we say in the Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I pray, Lord, that in, in the hearts of our covenant children, that You would put a satisfaction in Jesus and a hope in Jesus that nothing that happens to them in this world will ever, ever cause them to question Your goodness and Your faithfulness to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, if you would please take your hymnal and turn to page 789, we're going to read Psalm 18 verses 25 to 36 on page 789. I'll begin with the light portion, please respond out loud together with the bold. Page 789. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the
1: pure,
0: you show yourself pure. But to the brave, you show yourself true. You save the humble. But bring love those in you, O oh Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light.
1: With your help, I can advance against the truth. With my God, I can scale the
0: wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God
1: who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect.
0: He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. You my hands for battle. My arms
1: the
0: You give me your shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. You the me so that my ankles turn. Amen. Let's stand together now and turn in your hymnal to number 211 as we continue worshiping by singing, God rescue Mary gentlemen. This morning, for our pastoral prayer time, we're going to continue uh, in praying for our missionaries, and wanted to pray and lift up a, a particular prayer for uh, Joel Brown at South Carolina State. With some of the things that have happened there um, in this past week, there was a, I believe, a football championship there on the campus, and um, there was a shooting that took place. So I wanted to pray for Joel that the Lord would give him uh, the opportunity to share the gospel, that hearts would be softened, and that he would have. Uh, boldness in his heart to speak the words of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that we may call upon you in boldness and call you our Father, that we are your sons and your daughters because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of this time of worship in your presence to be able to reflect on and to to fully set our minds on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ alone. We thank you for this Advent season. We thank you that we may be reminded again and reflect on the truth of your word that you have come to save and deliver your people. You have done everything that is necessary to draw us to yourself. Lord, we pray that you would build up our hearts today even in this service of worship that, our, that as we lift up our praises and our minds, our thoughts, our singing and our listening to your word that all of these would be done for your glory alone. That we might be truly encouraged but that our worship might add to the worship of the saints around the world and, and the beauty of the songs that are sung around your throne even this day. Lord, we confess, we have to confess, that our worship, though we may mean very well, is imperfect. Even at our very best, it is not giving you the glory that you are due. And so we pray, Lord, that you would make up what lacks in us. And we know that you will because of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for Joel Brown in the campus of South Carolina State where you have planted him. You have set him there as an RUF minister. Lord, we pray that you would cause him to speak very boldly the words of life to those who may be hurting, uh, to those who may be having lots of questions. And as any college campus would, it's busy this time of year. And so, Lord, I pray that in the midst of the busyness, that you would give Joel divine appointments to be able to share the gospel with people who don't know you. And also that he would have courage, Lord, in doing this. Lord, as he is asked in his newsletters from month to month, We pray for he and for his family, and we pray particularly for his wife as she takes care of things at home, that he would be sensitive to her, that he would also take part in them, that he would not set aside his responsibilities as a husband and a father. And Lord, I pray for our church family here at Lebanon. There are many among us who uh, need encouragement. They need building up in their faith. They need to see that you, Lord Jesus, are good and faithful. Lord, I pray that you would be with those specifically who are going through seasons of hardship and the trials of this life because of the fall. It is sometimes a very starkly reminded to us that our bodies and this world don't work the way uh, that we think they will and the way that we might expect. And except for our eyes being on you, this would cause us to despair. And so, Lord, I pray for your people that you would encourage them that you would point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would see in him our perfection, and help us, Lord, in wanting to be perfect ourselves apart from you. We would rather just be God than have to depend on you, and we confess that to you this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would hide us in the cleft of the rock, that you would show us your glory today as we praise you, as we read your word, as we hear it proclaimed. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name. Amen. to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 33. Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 33. This is the word of the Lord. Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. The sermon this morning is entitled Great and Glorious. This Sunday we begin the Advent season. If you're not familiar with it, Advent is the the four Sundays in December leading up to Christmas. And we begin this first Sunday of Advent starting a series entitled The Coming of the King." We're taking just a brief break in our study in the book of Amos. We will pick it back up after Christmas. This Advent season is meant to be a time for each of us as God's people of waiting and anticipation and hope. It requires really intentionally being still to think about the promised salvation to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder if maybe there's a cynical thought in your mind, and maybe for some of you it's already on your face, as you think about this time of year, and here I am standing there saying, slow down and be still, you've got to be kidding me. You have to be kidding. Slow down. Consider something. I've got three things to do right now, and one of them I'm not even able to do. But I pray that the Lord would give you this gift and blessing this Advent season. That you really would be able to slow down. That he would show you the, the true kingdom gospel priority of being in his presence. Of reflecting on the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world. And may he sanctify for you your spiritual sight. To see this not as a time only about a baby in a manger and shepherds. But about God's kingdom come into the world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, come in human flesh, God among us, to roll back the curse that had been pronounced on Adam and Eve, to redeem His people from their sins, and to glorify His Father. And may your heart sing and rejoice as the angels did in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, Glory to God in the highest, And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. May your heart be lifted up this Advent season to praise your heavenly Father and the Son and His Spirit whom He sent to His children. This morning as we look at this text, and the sermon is entitled, Great and Glorious, I want to do so with four points this morning. The first is I want you to notice the announcement. Secondly, identify the promises. Number three, recognize their gospel significance. And lastly, enter into the joy of this hope. So number one, notice the announcement. It's very simple. It's very clear. But I think too wonderful maybe for us to even read a second time that we pass over it very quickly. Notice the messenger of God in this announcement. It says that Gabriel, who stands before the throne of God, was sent to Nazareth. In verse 26, I think you should notice that. That Gabriel, standing in God's presence, was given an order. And those who stand in God's presence obeyed. And he went and spoke the message he had been given. This was a message from God the Father Almighty to Mary, a virgin girl who was betrothed to Joseph. They were not even yet married. She was a young teenage girl, maybe 15 at the most. And notice also in this announcement the choice of God. The angel Gabriel says, You highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women in verse 28 and in verse 30. This is clearly the choice of God. That God's favor had been put on her was not because of anything in Mary. It was absolutely everything to do with God's choice of her. Notice also in the announcement the announcement is made that she will have a son and he will be the son of God. Behold, Gabriel says, you will conceive in your womb and you will have a son and his name will be Jesus. And we know in Matthew's gospel, chapter one, verse 21, that naming him Jesus, it says there that he will save his people from their sins. So not only does this young teenage girl who has no idea what it means to even carry a baby in her womb is being told that she will be raising God Almighty, the one who will be saving his people. Talk about pressure on a new mom. Whoa. And lastly, notice in this announcement, the call of God. You have to see this. He says, rejoice. And then a few moments later, when... She was a little troubled at what he had to say. He knew and said, don't have any fear, Mary, in verses 28 and 30. Worship and faith is what Gabriel was calling Mary to. And it is the right response to God's wonderful gospel of sending a Savior into the world to save His people, you and me, from our sins. Worship in His presence. Have faith. And notice, you can read a similar account in the other Gospels Mary doesn't have all of her questions answered. And maybe she is fearful even to ask all of them. And I remember Sammy Thomas saying when he was here from Hope Givers um, last year, he said, only in the Christian life do you have obedience before understanding. Only in the Christian life do you have obedience before you have understanding. And we see that demonstrated here in Mary's life. How does she respond? She doesn't go through her litany of questions or or try to make Uh, provisions and well can you say this or that what does mary do in luke chapter 1 verses 46 and 47 we have mary's magnificat it's a song that she sings my soul magnifies the lord she says and my spirit has rejoiced in god my savior she falls in worship before her heavenly father she knows that it's not because of her it's because of him And because he has come with this message of grace, she knows that he will provide the grace that she needs to be sustained, to do what she's about to do and to walk through what she's going to as a young mom and a young lady, as a new wife, and as the one who will carry the Savior of the world in her belly. So number one, notice the announcement. Number two, identify the promises. And there's four specific statements that I want you to see in these verses. In verse 32, The angel promises greatness. Now, many of us who have children, you think, look at that, look what they did. Maybe they're going to be a football player. Maybe they're going to be a doctor. Look at the way he does that or the way she writes that way. I wonder what they're going to do with their life. From the very beginning, Mary has promised that Jesus will be great. He will be great and wonderful. It's a word that's overused in our time. And maybe it didn't really cause your heart to jump when we write it. Jesus will be great. Well, there are a lot of things that are great. We overuse it. It doesn't have the, it doesn't have the heart-catching flair that it should. It says Jesus will be great. Notice also another promise. Sonship. He will be called the Son of the Highest. In verse 32. He will be called a Son of God. This was one of the reasons the Pharisees were so up in arms at Jesus. Because later he would claim to be the son of man, the son of God. How can this man claim to pray to God as his father? He is God in heaven after all. And Jesus says, I am his son. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. Thirdly, he promises a throne. That the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now if you were Mary. I wonder if you'd be scratching your head. Wait a minute, Gabriel. Actually, I'm uh, betrothed to a man named Joseph. Who is this David? I'm not engaged to David. Who is this father David? And by the way, I don't even know him. The fourth promise. An eternal throne. He says he will reign forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end in verse 33. So identify the promises. The promises. Number two, number three, recognize their gospel significance. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn. We sing at this time of year. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Recognize the gospel significance of these promises that the angel Gabriel made to Mary about Jesus coming into the world. They're familiar, maybe, because you may be familiar with your Old Testament. You know it's not the first time in history, in the history of redemption, either, that these promises have been made. If you still have your Bible with you, turn to Second Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. It's referred to in this chapter as the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David. You might know some of the history leading up to this chapter, from 1 Samuel chapter 16 all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 5. David had been anointed. As we get to 2 Samuel 5, the rebels have all been subdued.
1: Jerusalem has been
0: conquered. The Jebusites have been thrown out. The ark of God has been brought into Jerusalem, the city of God. It would later be referred to as the city of David. And it says here that David was at peace from all his enemies. And that's saying a lot. If you've read 1 Samuel 16 all the way to 2 Samuel 5, to say that he had peace and that Israel had peace from all their enemies is not a throwaway statement. It was a promise that God had given to his people, but David has not known this kind of peace. And if you know David, he spent most of his adult life on the run, after he was anointed king, he spent much of it on the run, being chased by King Saul or his armies. And so here's David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And it's in his heart, it says, as he thinks about the peace that God has given him and his kingdom. As he sits in his house of cedar, it says that he thought, why should I dwell in this house of cedar? And yet God among us is living in a tent. In fabric or canvas. Why would God Almighty dwell among us in a tent? And I'm living in a house of cedar. I'm going to build God a house. And so he goes to Nathan the prophet and he tells him. And Nathan says, do whatever your heart desires. And then God comes to Nathan and says, you go tell David, no. Don't build me a house. For all the time that I have dwelled with my people, I have been with you living in this tent. I've not needed a house. You're not going to build me a house, David, but in fact, I'm going to build you a house. You might think, well, wait a minute. David just said he lives in a house of cedar. Why would God build him another one? Is that the just the excess of riches? God's promised him a summer house or a winter house. He can get away from bad weather or just get away from the people. No, God was promising him something much more extraordinary. If you have your Bible, let's, let's read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll begin in verse eight. Now, therefore, thus you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord God of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have gone, excuse me, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. This is significant. I want to look at these verses in the Davidic covenant. And I want you to think about what we read in Luke chapter 1. Think about the promises that the angel Gabriel made to Mary about her son Jesus. And all she had would have been words like this from the Old Testament. All she had were these kinds of promises made, but had no idea who it would be or when he would come, what it would look like for him to be in the world. In verse 11, the Lord tells you he will make you a house. It's a play on words in the Hebrew language. He's telling him he will make you a royal dynasty. Your family name, David, will live on forever. And it will be said over and over again throughout the history of the world. This is a a further... Overflowing of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 verse 6. When he said that nations and kings would come through Abraham. This is a fulfilling of that promise. He's making this promise to David. In verse 12 he says I will set up your seed after you. And his throne and his kingdom will be forever. And he shall be the one to build me a house in verse 14 and 15, he says, I will be his father and he will be my son. You might say, well, that's, that's pretty normal. I understand that. That's standard Christian language that we are called the sons and daughters of the living God. But that's because we have the Bible. We have the Old and the New Testament. But try to think for just a moment about living in the time that David did. When God comes to him through the prophet Nathan and tells him that your son, David will be my son that god will be a son a father to his people that his people will be sons and daughters to him this was extraordinary they prayed to the god the lord of hosts of heaven when he spoke they listened they saw the fire the mountain trembled the smoke and this god who speaks is saying i will be to you a father and your son will be to me as a son He was saying, this is the kind of love that I express to my people. You have a sense of wanting to belong and be a part, to be welcomed in, to have an identity. And I am answering that. This is the identity of God's people. There's not another one for you to look for. But he also promises that he would discipline him. That if he steps out of line, that there would be rules and boundaries that God would give to David's son that he would cause him to walk in righteousness that he would discipline him think about this dads for just a moment as I thought about this this passage this week he's promising him discipline do you step away from it dads because it seems unloving here in some of the greatest promises in all of the bible David is being promised that his sons will be disciplined by none other than the perfect heavenly father He will discipline. Do you give rules? Or do you give love and relationship dads? Do you only give rules? Or are they given so that your children might see love and affection and relationship? The father promised this through David to his son. He says, I will not leave him. and my mercy, I will not take away. This is God's, has said, covenant love for his people. His eternally faithful covenant love. The cross of Calvary kind of love. There is no length to which I will not go, David. I will keep you and your sons and their family in my family forever. I think there's an ache in each of us for that kind of love. Have you ever walked on eggshells in your own home and thought, I don't want to step on that creek in the floor or touch on that subject Because if I hit that nerve, I might just get thrown out. Or if I cross the line, if I disobey in a way that I shouldn't, that'll be it. And they might call me their son or their daughter. But things will never be the same again. This is the kind of discipline and ruling that we want. We want love and affection, but we also want to know we are still in the family. And God promised that to David And to his children that when David would be gone, his son would still be protected and cared for. He says, your house and your kingdom and your throne will be established forever. These are great and glorious promises. But what do we see? Think about your Old Testament for just a few moments. Within a generation, Solomon would be a king who walked away from God in gross idolatry. After him, the kingdom was divided, north and south. Infighting in the covenant community would progress and and move on even into the days when Jesus walked on the earth. That's why in John chapter 4, the woman at the well speaking to Jesus, the very Son of God, said, you Jews think this, but we think this. That's the kind of language there was even in the covenant community. They had ungodly kings, awful destruction and exile both for the north and the southern kingdom and the people are broken-hearted and wondering where is god where are the promises everybody keeps telling us about the wonderful restoration of israel about a messiah who's coming who will deliver us not only from our enemies but he will deliver us from our sins where is He? And what is the sound of His coming? And the message of His voice? And can He heal me of everything that is deep down inside of me? Not just the things my covenant community knows, but the things that I know that He knows. Derek Thomas said of this chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and these promises that God made to David that it is the single most significant role of any chapter in the Old Testament in shaping the significance of who Jesus is. Our Christian understanding of who He is and why He came. That from the line of David the resurrection had to be realized. God made a promise that David's kingdom would last forever and that a son would sit on David's throne Forever. And you can't have that with people who, if you read in your Old Testament, so-and-so reigned in Israel. And they reigned 40 years, and then they rested with their fathers. And if you read in the Old Testament, you get that. King after king after king. It's no different in Judah than it is in Israel. They reign for a period of time, they die. So God made this promise. And then the audacity of Gabriel to say it again to Mary in Luke chapter 1 What is it that he's promising? Peter at Pentecost said that here in 2 Samuel, David was speaking about the resurrection. That Jesus would go through the exile of death for his people and would rise again victorious over death and hell and the grave. That that was being spoken of and realized here, even if David didn't know it. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews said the same thing. That the hope of the glorious resurrection is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. These promises that were made is because Jesus' kingdom lasts forever. And we are enjoying the presence of the future even right now. Jesus is ruling and reigning. And though you may not see it with your eyes, he is. Apart from the resurrection, David's line would be lost forever. Forever. Jesus would have to rise again from the dead. He would have to break the bonds of death that his people would never taste it again for all eternity. That is the hope of the promises that are being made here. It's the glorious message that Mary heard when the angel Gabriel came to her home and told her that her life would never be the same again. What's the significance of these gospel promises that are being made to Mary? They signal to God's people that who have been waiting and watching for a Messiah for generations that the wait is over. The coming of the King is here. It's why in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and forward, Simeon says, you are now allowing your servant to die in peace because my eyes have seen the salvation of my people. A light for Israel A light, excuse me, a light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. God, you are doing it. You made promises and you are keeping them. In Luke chapter 1, verses 68 and 69, when Zacharias, who had been mute since he spoke an idle word. If you still have your Bible open, go back to Luke chapter 1. Hear these words that Zacharias spoke. Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 69. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has re- visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. They understood. Simeon and Anna and Zacharias understood. Salvation is here. It's finally here. We will be redeemed from our sins. God is not leaving us in them, he has not left us. So that brings us to number four. Enter into the joy of this hope. I want to ask you this morning in this series, the the coming of the King. Jesus has come to make sinners his sons and daughters, to give us what our tradition in the Reformed tradition calls the adoption of sons and daughters. I want to ask you this morning are you in the family? Jesus came to give you a relationship with himself. Are you in the family? I don't mean are you here. Is your name on the membership roll? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Number two, I want to ask you. Does he, the king, the one that you say is the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior of sinners, The one that you say you trust and hope in. Does he sit upon the throne of your life? There should be times as a believer that you rejoice. As you sit and look at situations in life. And you should be able to count them. And name them to your heavenly father. As you think about things that maybe you would want to do. And yet the word of God constrains you. By his spirit he leads you and says no you can't do that. You're going to have to do this because you belong to me. And you should rejoice in that because that is the discipline of a heavenly Father and a fulfillment of promises that He made. I can't do this because I belong to Him. I'm not going to be able to do this because His Word says do this. You should be thankful for that. That is His guiding in your life. Does He sit upon the throne of your life? Does your God ever contradict you? I sure hope He does. Because we don't get it right not even half of the time. Enter into the joy of this hope. Worship. Do you know the awe and wonder and humility of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18? After Nathan spoke those words to him, it says that David went in and sat before the Lord. God had just told him, No, David, you're not building me a house. What do you do when God tells you no? Most of the time when we're told no in this world, we sulk. Well, I really wanted to, and especially as we think about worship. Well, I wanted to offer this to the Lord. Why wouldn't he allow me to do it? I did it with the right kind of heart. David is told, no, you won't build me a house. Your son will. What do you do when God tells you no? May he warm your heart this morning, dear believer, to go before him as David did in worship. As he said, God, who am I and what is my house that you have spoken these words to me today? And you have spoken of your servant for a long while to come, and it will be instruction for all mankind that this is the way God works. He takes no counselors. He is his own. Lastly, he says that this kingdom will be eternal. I think the Advent season and Christmas is not able to contain the joy that we should be reflecting on. But particularly this time of year, it's not the joy of a moment or even one season. It is now and for all eternity that we should be rejoicing in God's presence. And I want to end this morning by reading from Revelation chapter 5 where John the Revelator wrote Andrew Peterson wrote a familiar song about this particular passage. Maybe you've heard it. The title of it is Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? Revelation chapter 5, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Is he worthy to receive all blessing and honor and glory and power? As Andrew Peterson wrote, he is. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that even in our addresses to you, in our prayers, that we would pause. To be even to able to say on sinful lips, our Father is a privilege and a blessing you have made us your sons and daughters out of your own good pleasure there's nothing in us that we could point to the reason why you saved us and lord we thank you for the promises that we have read this morning may they truly minister to our soul by your spirit use your word to do all that you desire to accomplish to call us to love and obedience to you lord help us to look to jesus to be our savior and not to ourselves Forgive us when we try to do everything in our own strength and power. And Lord, help us to see our true need of you. May we worship before you, for you are truly worthy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word now by singing hymn number 230. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor. offering to the glory. Allie. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we may give to you now a portion of what you have so richly blessed us with. And we pray, Lord, that you would take our tithes and our offerings, that you would be pleased to use them for the sake of the spread of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would also help us in this in this movement of worship as we think about putting money in a plate, that it would also cause our hearts to be less gripped by this world and the things of it. In Jesus' name, amen. of our Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.